I mean, there's just so much happening in relation to automotive and new technology that it is near impossible to, to think of every possible scenario that could go wrong. But cloud seems to be the environment on the back end that will be harboring a lot of data. And I think it's rich for hacker curiosity, quite honestly. Hi, I'm Sean Serber. And today on Let's Converge, we're talking autonomous vehicles and cybersecurity. The day of driverless cars is coming soon. And so are the inevitable hacks and security issues. The threat of automotive hacks will affect everyone on the road, no matter what you drive. Researchers are particularly interested in protecting the back end of these vehicles. And by that, I don't mean taillights. The back end refers to all the IT assets that a cyber criminal might want to tamper with. The way a vehicle chooses which route to take, how it tracks the speed of other cars, and who has the right of way. Our guest today is Jennifer Tisdale, CEO of Grim Cyber, a firm that helps auto suppliers identify and mitigate security vulnerabilities. She's previously also served as a cybersecurity strategy advisor for Mazda North America and as a cyber mobility program manager for the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Well, thanks for having me, Sean. I'm really excited to be speaking with you. Wonderful. Well, let's just jump into it. There's one basic question we need to get out of the way. Have you ever traveled in a driverless vehicle? I have. It was a demo. It was held at a conference um, and it was in a very controlled environment. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it is a good barometer for what it will be like when they're in the wild and on the road. For a control freak such as myself, it takes some getting used to right? To be in a vehicle that doesn't have a driver that is using sensor technology to navigate its way around a course. It, it is a little disconcerting. <laughs> That's what, that was actually what I was going to ask because that would be the same for me. That's yeah. like, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not even a huge fan of riding in the back of a cab. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? You do got to let go a little bit. <laughs> So in, in ages past, when people broke into a car, it was, you know, looking to swipe the car or components or, or contents of it, or just people wanting to take it out for a joyride. When it comes to these autonomous vehicles, who do you think is going to be the prime threat activators and what's going to motivate them to be hacking into autonomous vehicles? Well, I think the primary motivation for, you know, virtually breaking into or hacking one of these vehicles is going to be the same. Money is the motivator. Gone are the days of crowbars and hot wiring, you know, <laughs> and now it will be done um, through other opportunities to manipulate the code to get the vehicle to do what they want it to do. Um, so money being the primary factor there, I think, in, in relation to automotive theft, there is some um, conversation with within the government for what it might look like if remote control of a vehicle could happen in mass and from how far away, what happens if there is a larger, more widespread event for a fleet manager or for a particular make, model, and trim package of a vehicle. What would that look like and what could that be? You know, these are the questions that are largely unanswered in the moment, um, but I think they're getting closer every day to figuring out what that might be You know, beyond just what I'd call petty crime <laughs> um, and maybe even dancing in, in the space of what could be a homeland security issue or, or something greater than that. Right. As a longtime cybersecurity professional, it's good to hear people are, for lack of a better term, gaming it out, right? Like, okay, what if, what if, what if, and then and following each of those down the train, because there's a lot of different groups involved 
in protecting these these vehicles. There's the the vehicle manufacturers themselves, all of the software and services providers, the owners of the vehicles, of course, and then the role that governments are going to play in ensuring that these uh, uh, these devices are secure. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's let's start with uh, the car makers first. How responsive do you think they're going to be to the potential for cyber attacks and cyber attacks as they occur? They're not going to have a choice but to be responsive. This is a relatively new industry, right? So it wasn't until 2015 when we had the first media hit with the Jeep hack that happened. For those of you who don't know, that was when two security researchers demonstrated they could take remote control of the brakes and steering of a Jeep Cherokee. They were able to exploit a flaw in the car's cellular connection. Chrysler had to issue a recall to patch it. That was a game changer in the industry because it forced the conversation. But the automakers right now today from 2015 to 2022 have done a great deal of work in not just figuring out how to react, but how to be proactive. And so um, as somebody in cybersecurity, that gives me some level of confidence that they are tackling in-vehicle cybersecurity uh, as best they can during the R&D phase. And so automotive has a five-year production cycle. So vehicles that won't be on the road for five years from now are already being looked at in terms of security, which is very reassuring. Where I think it gets into a little bit of that shade of gray is with legacy systems and and trying to figure out how to maintain security over the life cycle. And, And that I think will be largely driven by all the stakeholders that are involved. Right. And that's, I think that's a big key there is that maintenance, right? You know, uh, traditionally when there's a problem with a vehicle, uh, they issue a recall, you, you take the, the vehicle into the, the shop and, and they fix it. With the, the era now of over the air updates, we're going to see a whole nother aspect of it. Uh, forced updates, updates that the consumers themselves can accept or decline. What about that over-the-air avenue as actually a vector of attack? Are you concerned about that at all? Yeah, it, it certainly is a, an area of concern. I see this all the time, um, especially with my with my in-laws and my kids. You know, If they're not accepting the security update on their personal devices, what happens if they don't accept it in their vehicle? Um, You know, it's one thing if we're talking about protecting our data and our personal information, but it's something else if it's an update that could impact our life and limb, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we all see it, uh, you know, even in traditional enterprise environments, just getting patches pushed out and people to reboot systems or, oh, you know, we can't reboot these devices because they're mission critical at certain times. You know, it's it's a whole nother thing when you're driving down the road. I mean, obviously, you can't have a, a system restart while you're driving. But our owners of these vehicles are going to be forced to uh, to wait when they go to power up a machine for their their device, their device, their car, they go to power up their car, you know, are they going to have to be expected to wait a couple of minutes for these updates? Yeah. And I don't think it's wrong to consider it a device anymore. <laughs> just, to be, <laughs> just to be clear, I think that's pretty accurate. There might be a lag time. 
But what we're typically seeing in the industry now, I mean, so many vehicles are using apps, you know, phone apps um, that let you know when your car is due for service or maintenance. And so you'll get the warning for when the update needs to happen in your software. If it's something that might impact um, what I would call critical function of the vehicle, the operation of the vehicle, it might even be something that they need to go into the dealership to do. That standard practice, I think, is being worked out right now. I believe we wanted to also chat about government's role in this. And um, I think we will see down the road some regulation that helps address cybersecurity from almost a cyber safety perspective. I often have to remind people that we may not have airbags or seatbelts in our cars if a government body didn't regulate safety into the vehicle. And I think down the road, we will see cybersecurity um, managed much the same way. Do you think that government regulation is the best way to go, or would you like to see a coalition of manufacturers come up with their own internal regulations that they might actually enforce kind of on upon each other even more strictly than the government could? Yeah, I, I don't think anybody in industry wants government to dictate to them how to build their business. People who own the vehicles in most states in this country, I believe, have the right to repair goods that they buy. We have a lot of tinkerers. I'm in Detroit. Everybody likes to tinker with their vehicles, soup them up, see how they work. Um, and we'll see that still as we move more closely into that autonomous vehicle system. So do we let people tinker on their own cars? You know, this is a question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, right now we do. But I foresee in the future that that might not be a great idea when it comes to critical safety features of a vehicle that are software driven. So, so understanding where government might want to step in, I think anytime that there's an opportunity for somebody to be physically harmed or for things to go sideways quickly by messing with code intentionally or unintentionally that can cause harm to others, they'll likely step in in that space. What I'd hate to see happen is that we have 50 states with 50 different laws. That's not going to work for anybody, but that's where we're seeing conversation right now. Uh, some states are looking at modifying or, or you know, tweaking the right to repair laws that are um, specifically towards this conversation of who can get into the back end and what can you do to the code, what's within a, a consumer's rights and what's not. We have some states that I've been tracking that are looking at making it a criminal act. If you are hacking a vehicle and you are not in the industry and not a researcher or not part of academia. Um, And I think that's a real slippery slope as well. So the states have to come together as well as with the federal government to figure out how they want to handle those things. But it is so new, Sean. You know, um, everybody's trying to be proactive, but they're not quite educated yet on what it is they're dealing with, especially at the government level. Yeah, the the right to repair is an interesting point. I mean, I know uh, all sorts of ways that uh, people are, are souping up and, and modifying vehicles by simply introducing a different programming to the chipset, right? I think we're going to to start to see more of a, a walled garden approach where, you know, you could might be able to modify this area, but it requires a significant level of additional security, perhaps even physical security devices that are only available to dealerships and uh, authorized repair centers and things like that. Because you're absolutely right. If you're going in and you're increasing the horsepower, but at the 
the same time you disable the uh, motion sensors, you could have a real problem there. It's definitely one to watch. It's getting some attention right now. It has over the last year or so. And I, and I would foresee that that's only going to increase. Right. And so we've talked a lot about the security of the vehicles themselves, but what about the back end? All of the servers, the systems, the code, what do you think that uh, business owners need to be especially concerned about in securing the back end of the system? Yeah, we have to keep at the very front of our mind, the whole reason why this is happening is to get to zero deaths, okay? Zero vehicular fatality. The industry, both the industry and government can agree on that one point, that that is the ultimate end game, right? The vehicle, as they inch closer towards fully autonomous systems, will be reliant on the communication to its operating environment. That relies on um, what they call ITS systems, intelligent transportation systems, which are the sensors and the technology that's embedded in the roadway. This is what's going to get us to smart cities to go hand in glove with our smart cars. I like to call them cloud cars because it's just <laughs> you know humorous to me. <laughs> uh, but we'll have these cloud cars on the road that are communicating to other vehicles next to it, in front of it, behind it. It'll be communicating with those digital billboards where they give you the update, right? Like you're 15 miles from whatever exit and you have one accident, get over to the right or whatever, right? Like So all of this is now going to be interfacing with the vehicle itself. So that makes the cloud ripe for the picking. The cloud will be leveraging AI and machine learning. They'll be collecting all that data to make super quick decisions for the operation of the vehicle and pushing that information out into the ITS system. Um, So all of this will feed into safety features like driver assist systems and cooperating with the road itself, with the ITS system itself to prevent accidents and increase road safety and, you know, all in all improve traffic flow. Right. So that's that cloud back end. And what happens if you can penetrate it, if you can manipulate the data, if you can make the vehicle think that it should be turning left instead of right. Right. So um, those are the things that I think are really of interest. What I hate to see are too many companies rushing to market on this. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to be first, but being first comes with a lot of risks. You know, and I think in this conversation, we're watching, we, the industry, are watching Tesla very closely, <laughs> you know, for what happens. You know, we haven't even teased out, Sean, with the next evolution from combustion engines into electric vehicles and that interconnectivity to the grid and how they'll be charging the roadways and transferring energy. I mean, there's just so much happening in relation to automotive and new technology that it is near impossible to to think of every possible scenario that could go wrong. But cloud seems to be the environment on the back end that will be harboring a lot of data. And I think it's rich for hacker curiosity, quite honestly. The concepts of what's available to us as, as consumers in an autonomous driving world are so inviting. I, I remember seeing a, uh, a video many, many years ago at this point talking about like car trains, right? Where you're, you're out on, on a freeway and you can actually link up a whole series of cars and it gives you the opportunity to, to move much, much faster then we are potentially uh, allowed to drive ourselves, but in a, in a much safer way. And I think that's really great. It's really cool. 
but that's going to require massive amounts of processing on the back end. It's going to require millions, if not billions of lines of code. And with every line of code comes the opportunity for a bug, an error, or a vulnerability. Yeah, it starts to feel what we're we're just doing an exchange, a responsibility exchange for where things can go wrong. Vehicle hacks actually go back as far as 2010. And when uh, I believe it was a Chevy Impala had its uh, OnStar system hacked. Uh, You talked about the Jeep hack in 2015 earlier. We had uh, 25 Teslas that were compromised through a third-party app. But so let's talk about today. The uh, 2021 Global Automotive Security Report uh, says that uh, 57% of the known automotive hacks performed in 2021 were performed by malicious actors. So we know this isn't just a theoretical problem, right? We know that while we've got a ton of researchers out there and white hats that are trying to find their vulnerabilities in advance, we already know the bad guys are after it. Mm-hmm. And 40% of those breaches were breaches of servers. So that back end we were talking about that are communicating with these connected vehicles. So what do we do today about this? We have to have more people looking at these systems, quite honestly, right? And more frequently. One of the largest issues that is not exclusive to automotive, I know that much for sure, is they're not prioritizing the budget necessary to do this type of work. Um, and if they are, they have internal red teams that are doing it. And, you know, you start to dance on the line for what's good enough and how far is too far. So getting some consistency for what they need to be looking at, how frequently they need to look at and how deep they need to go. I'm an anti-compliance person in the sense that I don't believe we just need to check a box. I think Mm -hmm. we have to do a little bit better than that as an industry, as a collective. And I think that I'm probably in the minority on that. Um, Maybe not in theory. In theory, everyone would agree with we want to do more than check a box. But in practicality, the amount of time and the amount of money that that takes is a little prohibitive. Yeah, I agree. Compliance does not equal security. Mm-hmm. But I think we all recognize the uh, the truth that compliance gets budget, right? right. <laughs> and so it becomes a, a continuing problem. And there are some fundamental steps that all involved stakeholders can take to protect the, especially the back end, but even the front end, that things like, you know, your basic cyber hygiene, your patch management, your supply chain management, things like software bill of materials, knowing what's embedded in the software that you're using to make your software, right? All of these things are all about limiting uh, both first, second, and third party risks. So as an IT industry, we know how to do those things. Uh, Do you think that they're being uh, effectively applied in this new world? The basics for in-vehicle security are being fairly well managed today. I'm saying that cautiously. (laughs) The second I say it, something terrible will happen. Can they do more? Yeah, absolutely. They can do more. Can they put more budget behind it? Heck yes. Can they engage more uh, with the research community? Absolutely. But I think that for the most part, they have leaps and bounds improved over where they were just a couple of short years ago. Well, Jen, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Are there any closing thoughts you'd like to leave us with as we drive boldly into this (laughs) untapped future? 
Yeah, I love technology. I love the advantages that um, the future of transportation will bring to our communities, to the underrepresented, to pockets around the globe that don't have easy access into transportation. I think the, the good outweighs the scary. Yes, there is scary. There are people that are addressing it. And I think that we're seeing a lot of um, new and interested parties getting engaged and involved, much like yourself. And we can never have too many people looking at the problem and helping us solve it. So I wouldn't let this conversation scare people away from what the future looks like in terms of connected and automated and eventually autonomous systems. I'm really excited for it. Um, We just have to be smart. We have to be smarter than our smart car. There you go. That's a, that's going to be a tough, tough gig, but I think we can do it. <laughs> I've been talking today with Jennifer Tisdale, the CEO of Grim Cyber. If you'd like to read more about cybersecurity issues related to autonomous vehicles, check out Focal Point, Tanium's online cyber news magazine. We've got links to several articles in the show notes, or just go to tanium.com. To hear more conversations with today's top business leaders and security experts, make sure to subscribe to Let's Converge on your favorite podcast app. And if you liked this episode, please give us that five-star rating. Thanks for listening. We look forward to sharing more cyber insights on the next episode of Let's Converge.